Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Dan, so much. Appreciate it. Good morning, The Gathering. How is everyone? You guys doing well? Thank you for the welcome. I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. Hey, listen, I've got to tell you, if you, if you don't have permission normally, you do today. If you want to get out your phones right now and look up the word sanctification, since we're going to be talking about that, we don't commonly use that in our vocabulary, right? This last week, you weren't just sitting around the other day saying to someone, you know, let's have coffee and talk about sanctification. Or, you know, that guy's pretty sanctified. I really like him. Or you probably didn't say to your wife recently, I'd like to be more sanctified in my life. And she said, yes, you do really need that in your life a lot more than you think. You know, those things just don't seem to come into our lives. But today we're going to talk about this wonderful aspect of salvation. In fact, uh, from what I understand, you've been talking about salvation for a number of weeks, right? Do you realize that there's probably no greater subject for us to talk about? Because when you realize that there's a mighty God who loves you so much that he took something that was corrupted, destined to be self-serving, and yet he took and gave his son for us in such a gift on the cross that there's this transforming power that what we were once born into and would have become, yet because of Christ, you become something far greater in a transforming way that only God can do. That's amazing when you think about it. So it's good to spend hours and days and weeks talking and reflecting about sanctification. Now, some of you are on your smartphones, and I award you for doing that. That's fine, looking up what is sanctification. Because sometimes when we use the word holy, and Cindy Dentman used that word in her prayer today, and, and it's an appropriate word, it's a perfect word. We use the word sanctified. We talk about being holy. Do you know that for most of us in North America, when we hear that word, you and I tend to think it means that we have to be perfect. Is that not right? You know, when we say to someone, Well, they've got a holier-than-thou attitude. What do we mean by that? They think that they're more perfect than I am. And so then it becomes something that we really don't want to have and use to describe us. And yet, throughout the Bible, over and over again, this concept of being holy and sanctified is something that we should pursue within our lives. Let me kind of illustrate it like this. I was born in 1959. I was raised near and around Flint, Michigan in the 60s and the 70s. And I remember what it was like in my fresh memory of my days to get to the age where grandma on my dad's side took us out fishing. And we caught everything. We would catch catfish. We would catch bass. We would catch bluegill. And we would catch carp. And Grandma somehow found a magical way to prepare every fish that she ever wanted to because she was raised during the Depression and nothing went to waste. As my cousin Steve and I reached the age where we could go fishing with her, Grandma let us know that not only do we get the reward of fishing with Grandma and being taught how to fish for every known species in Michigan, but that we took on the responsibility to help clean the fish when we got back home. I don't know if you're much into fishing, but in the simple place of Flint, Michigan, what we would do is once we caught our fish, we'd go back to Grandma's house and Grandpa's house, and out behind her house there was this, uh, I would call it a wash tub, two 
kind of like galvanized tubs in a steel frame with a little thing that would run out the water in the bottom. And there was a hose out of the back house that would connect to that. And across these tubs that were not really connected to plumbing, there was a board. And on top of the board were two spoons for Steve and me. Silverware. I mean, great, heavy silverware. You know what those spoons were for? They were for us to learn to scale the fish. Grandma didn't give us a knife because the knife might cause us to cut ourselves because when you got your left hand on the side of the head of a fish and you're trying to flick the scales off so that you could get to the meat and the, you know, the scales are flying everywhere, you know, they're in your eyebrows, they're in your hair and, you know, you're laughing about them flicking off. You know, Grandma didn't want us to kind of graze across the top of the fish and to cut our hand. So she gave us silverware spoons. I look back on that day and I realize that at that point in time, Grandma, without knowing it, was teaching me about sanctification. Something being set apart for a special purpose. Because guess what? When Grandma later on provided ice cream or banana pudding, we didn't go get the two silverware spoons on the backyard laying on the board that we just scaled fish to enjoy our ice cream. That was forbidden. Even when we were playing out in the backyard with our G.I. Joe, not dolls, but G.I. Joe action figures, we were not allowed to use the silverware spoons to dig the trenches where the bombs went off around our G.I. Joes. We weren't able to do that because they had to stay right there. Because those were the only two spoons for which Steve and I could use to scale the fish. Here's the thing. Being sanctified in our lives is not about us being perfect. And I have to say that because some of us will say, well, I'll never be perfect. I'll never reach that goal. I'll never be that. So why even try? I'll never be the Michael Jordan of the spiritual life. I'll never be the best award-winning football player of God's kingdom. I will never be all of these things. So why even try? I just am who I am. But God throughout the Bible says we are supposed to be sanctified and holy people. And here's what it simply means. Sanctified means to relentlessly, relentlessly pursue God's purpose in your life. Do you hear that? relentlessly pursue God's purpose in your life. Those two silverware spoons there on the backyard of my grandma's home, they were used for nothing else once grandma designated what those spoons were used for. All our days, they rested on that board. When it was time to clean fish, we knew where they were. In your life, in every domain, in every corner of your life, God says, as he talks and he uses the words of being set apart, being designated, being established, being, you know, being turned this way, it's all for the fact that we're supposed to pursue relentlessly the purpose of God in every relationship. Do you hear that? Every relationship. Oh, yeah. That means that the miserable boss or co-worker at work doesn't get an exemption from your pursuit of holiness. I know, rats, right? It doesn't mean that the person sitting with you in church today with whom you had a fight, a blistering fight just yesterday, and could stand up and say, he wasn't holy yesterday, you know, that he gets a buy or she gets a buy. It doesn't mean that in any area of our lives, even the things that we do alone or we do publicly, get a pass. We are supposed to be actively pursuing this all the days of our lives. And it's hard. 
opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, I want to look at one verse just to kind of give you an idea of what we're, what we're examining today. And, and Acts 20 has become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because I have a, a life verse buried within that chapter, and I won't deal with that today, but I just want to mention it, that this is one of my favorite chapters because there's this transition where Paul, a man who was all against the things of Jesus Christ, then turned his life over for all things Jesus Christ, even to the point of being threatened and beaten and left for dead. And, you know, all these assassination plots on his life, and it was all because he loved Jesus, because he was willing to be sanctified, relentlessly pursuing the purpose of God in his life, unyielding. Oh, by the way, I need to mention today, I'm not running a reality television show or anything like that, so everybody just relax. And we did let him in here. I, I contacted Cindy. This is Paul Wynn. Uh, let's hear it for Paul Wynn. All right, there you go. Paul Wynn, yeah. That's W-Y-N-N, in case he videotapes anything and you want to pursue him legally, okay? Uh, no, Paul is with one O-N-E-M-I-S-S-I-O-N, OneMission.TV. He and his partners have a have a great ministry where they videotape God's movement around the world. He has traveled internationally throughout North America, South America, all kinds of places, just videotaping and retelling the story of people's lives. As our partner with the Baptist State Convention of Michigan, he's with us for the next two or three days. And uh, we, we actually left early this morning to get here because we had to bring him with all of his journalistic photographic equipment in the trunk of the car. And, you know, when we came through the tunnel... We got to the side, and you're charming. You're charming, customs officers. You know, they are so sweet. I don't know if there's any in here that are with you in your church, but, you know, they, they have that brutish look when the, you know, window slides back, the smoked glass, and you're like, dear Lord, let it be somebody in a good mood. Let it be somebody in a good mood, you know? And uh, Jamie was praying out loud, and so the, 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 the agent was very nice today. Not that they're not always nice, okay? I don't want to insult anybody or hurt your feelings, but, but, you know, they let us through, and we were like, Yes, Lord, thank you. You know, and uh, we just tell him we're coming here to worship and have fun with friends and just to praise God. So, and, uh, so thank you. But he's with us, and he's taking videotapes of things over the next few days so that we can tell the story of what God is doing in Canada and Michigan and share it around the world. So that's Paul Wynn. And so thank you, Paul, for doing that, okay? He's got a great talent. In Acts 20 and verse 32, I just want to read one verse with you, but I want to kind of just bring it into its focus on this theme of sanctification. In Acts 20, 32, it says, And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up to give you that purpose, to give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart, set apart, being sanctified for himself. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the, the translation I'm reading from this year. Paul was not that Paul, this Paul in the Bible. Paul was in an experience where he was talking to some people in an Ephesian church. They were people just like you and me. And they, had, they were spending their time at this moment saying, Paul, this may be the last time we see you. In fact, just a few verses later, you'll see that they literally were bowed in prayer and crying with one another. 
Now, that's tough on men and even some women to do that, to just pour out your heart crying in one another. He knew that this might have been one of the last moments he'd ever share life with them at this side of heaven. And he had already shared and invested three years of his life with this group of people in the community of Ephesus. And he was always teaching about how to be set apart, how to be different. And what he was saying was, he said, guys, I've done all that I can. I'm just going to trust what's been invested in you and poured in you and leave it to God to perfect or to complete or to finish. So I've got to go. That's what we need to look at. You know, sometimes we can come to a church service and we can think that I'm going to be there at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning at the gathering. And in about an hour, all I'm going to do is I'm going to be there and everything's going to be transformed. I'm going to be different. And you listen and you sing beautiful songs like, you know, I surrender all. And yet, in our hearts and minds, if we were to spiritually get a picture of what we're doing, our fists are inside our pocket, and they're clenching onto something that we really don't want to let go. Isn't it true? An attitude. Something that has become a habit in our life that we thought we'd never get into, and we know it doesn't bring honor to God. The language and the way that we speak, as Cindy said, to those that are closest to us in our lives. All those things are so true. And so even as we sing the song, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Spiritually, within the pockets of our lives, we're clenching with white knuckles onto something that we're not ready to release. Today is your opportunity to give that up. To instead open up your hand and say, God, I release it and I give it away to you. Because, Lord, I'm asking you for things that I want to receive. But how can I receive when my hands are clenched around something that you're asking me to let go of? Lord. I think I understand now. I've got to let go of this that I'm holding on to before you fill my spiritual hands with something that you want to give me. And so it's really amazing. So Paul says to these people, he's praying with them, talking to them, he says, I've given it all. I've given you three years. You see, we can come here and we can think, for one hour, I'm going to have it all done and I'm going to walk out differently. But have you ever noticed that you can walk out in the next 30 minutes, even after fellowshipping with everybody, and the thing that you were going to give up when you sang that song, All to Jesus, I Surrender, somehow finds its way back into your life just in the parking lot of the church? Isn't that miserable? You know, you're like, ah. Oh. Or we say, well, if it was a different spouse, if it was a different boss, if it was a different circumstance, and... The Lord says, no, I can help you with that holiness that ought to be in your life. And that was a beautiful song. That holiness that ought to transform your mind. That holiness that ought to form your heart. I can do that within your life. But you have to be willing to surrender everything. Paul writes to these people and he talks about how he's just going to trust the Lord to do this. Do you realize that much of the New Testament was written by Paul? And it was written to churches where people... Authored by God, inspired my wife. I love my lovely wife, Jamie's like, it was actually written by the Lord. Yes, it was. But this human author was the, you know, the Paul who was, you know, penning everything. I love you so much, you know. And so as, 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 he's, as he's penning this, he's thinking, you know, God, it's, it's all about you. Because here's the thing. I could join a membership at a gym. And obviously, you guys might question whether I have ever been to a gym. I don't know. But, you know, I could actually have a membership to a gym. I could go in there, and I could sit down on a chair, and I could call my wife, and I could say, Honey, I'm at the gym today. And I could sit there at the Planet Fitness gym eating Tootsie Rolls. Get that behind your mind, if you would, okay, for a minute. Eating Tootsie Rolls all for the next hour and a half, watching people on the treadmill, lifting weights, 
exercising, doing massive curls, and then walk out of the gym not having touched one weight, not having got on one treadmill, and go, whew, I was at the gym today, baby, you know? Do I look good? And she goes, honey, I think you're still putting on weight, you know? Guess what? Some of us look at coming to church like some of us look at going to gym, you know? You've got to put yourself into it. Pastor Garth and I, we've communicated over this period of time talking about this because I think we all need to remind ourselves of the joy of coming to know Jesus. And he said, Tony, he said, I just want to share with you, and he sent some quotes. He said, there was a guy by the name of John Frame, and John Frame described this definitive sanctification, and I call it this point in time. You cannot be sanctified, you cannot become holy unless there's that moment where you surrendered everything to Jesus. There's got to be that, like, that thing where you take a pen and you put it on the piece of paper. And here's how John Frame described it. He said, that definitive sanctification is a once-for-all event, simultaneous with effectual calling and regeneration that transfers us from the sphere of sin to the sphere of God's holiness, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Do you get that? A point in time. A point in time. I had a passport to get over here today. I've got a passport to get home. And it gives me that identity of where I belong, to which nation I belong. That definitive sanctification is that point in time where you and I say, Lord, I am a miserable person pursuing my own goals, and I'm ignoring you in my life. But at this moment, I confess my wrongdoing, and Lord, I am grateful that Jesus died on the cross for my wrongdoing, and that his gift of sacrifice and my faith in him allows me to enter into your kingdom, belonging to you, being sanctified at a definitive moment just by simply voicing this in my heart, in my mind, and in a prayer. That's definitive sanctification, that point in time. Then, there's the other side. And this is a side that even in church we don't like to talk about, but it's the reality because much of the New Testament was written to church people who were going to church who had problems within their lives. Would you agree? Okay, not a perfect person walked into this building today, including me. Okay, listen to this. This is the progressive sanctification that Pastor Garth and I exchanged ideas about this week. And here's what it says. Wayne Grudem wrote these words about progressive sanctification. He says, a progressive work of God and man and women. Can I put that in parentheses? And kids and teenagers. A progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin, free from sin, and like Christ in our actual lives. Ah, it's a partnership. It's a partnership. Do you think God keeps his word in his partnerships? How many of you believe that God keeps his word in his partnerships? Raise your hand. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, God keeps his word in his partnerships. Just do it right now simultaneously. All right, now I'm not going to make you say this out loud because this is just all kind of, we are going to ache about this one. But we fail at keeping our part in the partnership, don't we? We fail. We fail. Again, our hands are in our pockets and we're clenching onto something saying, God, I'm not letting go of this. 
I'm going to hold this grudge. I don't know why. I'm miserable about it. I lose sleep. But God, I feel better hanging on to this grudge, you know. Uh, God, there's this thing that I do in my life privately that nobody else knows about except you and me. And you know I really feel guilty every time I do this, but Lord, you're going to forgive me sometime. And you already forgave me in Christ. And so, Lord, I really don't want to work on it. And then you bring it out at times, and you're like, I really need to give this up. I need to give this up. I need to quit. Because I'm not relentlessly pursuing the purpose of God in every corner of my life. In fact, listen to these powerful words. And if you would, write these down so that you can look at these later. And and I'll tell you, the messages that your pastor has led you through and the topic of salvation is something that we ought to, like, pursue and read and meditate on all the time because there's nothing so grand as a believer who's reminded of where they were and where they are now in Jesus and the beauty that it brings. Listen to this, Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You are saved. Point in time. It's that, it's that definitive sanctification. Listen to this one. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Again, write the, the text down and look at it later, but Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Final one on this moment of definitive sanctification, a point in time. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Did you, you hear the beauty of that? God saved you by his grace when you believed. A point in time. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You can tweet this, you can Facebook this, but sanctification, sanctification is discovering the purpose that God has for your life. You see, because we have a lot of people living for different purposes in life. They're living for that romantic relationship. They're living for that spouse. They're living for their children. They're living for their career. They're living for wealth. They're living for career advancement. They're living for educational pursuits. And yet the only purpose that will ever satisfy in your life and fulfill will be when you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. That's why we lay that on other people to fulfill that in our lives. And it's not our right to put that on their backs. And that's why those relationships are destroyed. So we need to be mindful of that. Years ago, when we were international missionaries in Africa, we went to a village where Jamie and I, using different languages, French and Zarma, expressed the gospel to a village full of Muslims. And by the time we were done, 17 family leaders of half the village raised their hands and said, we want to follow Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, yeah, I mean, that's that's just God at work, you know. Half the village raised their hands and said, we want to follow Jesus Christ. That was that definitive moment of sanctification, that point in time where those 17 family leaders said, even though we've been living a different type of history for 1,400 years in the past, we are, for, we are forgoing what our ancestors have done, and we are now living for the generation to come. 
Folks, that's what we all need to be doing as we pursue the things that God wants us to do. But there's a second element to this, and the second element is that progressive sanctification. And guys, guess what? Ladies, it's a lifelong process. Moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, you never finish with this one. Listen, if you would, and you can open. I'm going to read it very slowly. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. Galatians 5, 19 through 25, if you want. And I'm going to read this with you aloud because it is so powerful. Because it does this kind of comparison about what it's like to live in the flesh, to live in that sinful nature, to let that be dominant in your life, and then to have your heart change where you're transformed by knowing Jesus because of that definitive moment. But now there's this progressive development that has to come. Listen as I read from it in Galatians 5, 19 through 25. And listen to these wonderful words of transformation. It says, beginning with verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Did that sound like your yesterday? For some of us, it might. It might. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that pursue that, those that, that, that their purpose. But look at verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Wow. Listen to this verse. Philippians 2, 13, in the New Living Translation. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. He gives you the power to do what pleases Him. So, therefore, when we fail in the partnership, it's not His fault. It's our breakdown in our lives. So, just as much as we can Facebook and tweet about the purpose that we discover, we can also Facebook and we can tweet about the pattern that needs to be established when we come to the pursuit of wanting to know the Lord. And we want to grow in Him. That's what we need to do. As I close, let me give you five S's that will help us in our lifelong process. Here they are, simply put, five S's that will help us as we pursue becoming more and more like Jesus in all that we do. Number one, study the Bible. Study the Bible. When I first fell in love with my wife, Jamie, I was the quietest guy in high school. People thought I was an arrogant stuck-up, and they didn't understand why she dated me. They didn't know that I was just like, you know chronically shy, and I know you wouldn't believe that today if you look at me and listen to me, but I was chronically shy. You know what studying the Bible is? It's a conversation with God. It's where you get to know everything that he thinks about, the way that he thinks about, the way that he feels about things, and so it's a conversation with God. So number one, study the Bible. Number two, spend time in prayer. I mean, really, just spend time in prayer. Read it, look at it, then pray about it, have a conversation where he not only speaks about something in history and something in the past and something in your future, but he speaks in a real conversation with you about it right now. What from this scripture that you just read needs to be applied to your life? So study the Bible, spend time in prayer. 
Number three, serve the Lord. I don't think there's anything else that will make you progressively um, closer to God than saying, you know what, I'm going to take on a responsibility in the church. Because guess what? You'll never, ever feel perfect enough to do it. But you know what? God does a lot of miraculous things with imperfect people when we're just fully surrendered to him. So serve the Lord. Four, share your story with what you have and who you are. Tell people about Jesus. Share it in the way that you give through your offerings. Share it in the way that you take a responsibility in the church. Share as you're having a conversation with somebody out in public. And then finally, that fifth, and I didn't know you were going to sing this song today, but here it is, surrender by saying, yes, Lord, especially in the areas of life where you don't want to say, yes, Lord. Because here's the thing. When you say yes in those areas where you really don't want to say yes to, that becomes the pivotal point where victory becomes yours because you finally said yes to the Lord where we didn't give up. And that's what we want to do. Let's pray. Father, I ask that today that, Lord, you be glorified in all that we give to you. Father, thank you for your love, for your strength. Thank you for the way that you speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Lord, may our pursuit of your purpose be our biggest goal. May our stronger, hung, strongest hunger in our lives be in pursuing you. And Father, may our pursuit of you be our life's breath. In Jesus' name, amen.